Today's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I haven't played the guitar in such a long time. I still have, um, my calluses all went away. It was painful, but all for, to sacrifice for Jesus. I was thinking that, I was playing that. Um, Kijin asked me to accompany her because she's going to Japan in two weeks and she'll be there for the next two plus months or so. And so she wanted to serve this congregation by lifting up an offering song for the, to the Lord. And so we'll send her off next week, but she wanted to do one this week. And um, it was a joy for me to play the guitar again, to get it and then wipe the dust off. That was cool. Um, but every once in a while, I guess you should play. Uh, before we begin, let's, let's pray one more time. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find wisdom, and in your will discover your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Man, I'm pretty excited about this passage. Uh, it's such a great passage. Um, what was read today, and the promise that Jesus is giving us in this passage. However, however, there's that caveat. However, if you know how I preach, however, there is a misunderstanding about what this passage is really saying. And that's something we will explore in the beginning. What is the passage saying? So many of us could have this misunderstanding that the passage, after we've read it, is saying that Jesus is promising us anything we want if we just ask for it. This is proven untrue if you just live beyond the age of three, you don't get anything you ask for. This is absolutely not true. Just because you ask for it, do you always get it? The answer is no, you don't get everything or anything you ask for all the time. But people have abused this passage to say things like, if you ask, God wants to give you. And so you should just ask. And if you don't, what happens if you don't get it? What happens when you don't get it? How many of us can say that 100% of our asks have been answered? What happens if you don't get it? Then there are these responses. You just need to pray harder. Have you heard that before? You just need to pray harder. You're not praying hard enough. And my response to that is yes. Don't be surprised. Yes. Sometimes you do need to pray and persist harder. But I don't think that's the point of the passage, okay? Sometimes you do need to pray harder. 
Some of you don't pray at all, and you're thinking you're going to get something. And James should stick out and say, you don't get because you don't ask, right? Um, sometimes you do need to pray harder. But I don't think that's the point of the passage. So some people will respond, if you don't get what you want for you don't have enough faith. It's because you don't have enough faith. And my answer to that is, yes, sometimes you don't have enough faith. And you should ask for faith. It's a very important thing. But again, I don't think that's the point of the passage. And finally, this is a big one. There is a sin in your life that you have to confess. You're not getting what you want because there is a sin in your life. And my answer to that is, yes, you may have a sin in your life that is blocking you. Something that you're committing and thereby deliberately distancing yourself from God. And you should repent. But I don't think that's the point of this passage. And some might think this and hear this. Maybe if you weren't hearing clearly enough. I went pretty slow. But you weren't hearing clearly or you weren't listening. And you say, wait, are you saying that I don't have to pray harder? Or look to increase my faith? Or to even repent of my sins? That's not what I'm saying. I am saying pray harder, ask for more faith, and definitely repent of any sins you are committing. These things are incredibly important. But if you're telling me that's the focal point of this passage, then I am saying you are mistaken. Uh, I'm going to read something. The sky along the horizon is yellow, orange, and sometimes even red. The whole earth seems to be getting darker, there's a cool breeze that hits you and a feeling that comes along with it that tells you you should start pedaling your bike back because the rental shop will close soon and you don't want to pay for that extra day. As you turn back to the main road, you see that the street lights have already turned on as if to light your way back. I, I just wrote this. Um, and it, if you were to read what I just wrote and then I asked you what the point of that story was. And you said, the point of that story is the sky is blue. I would say, are you even listening? <laughs> and you go, wait, are you telling me the sky isn't blue? The sky is blue, but it has nothing to do with the story. Reading comprehension, folks. This is why your SAT scores, no, I'm just. <laughs> yes, the sky is blue, but it has nothing to do with the picture that was painted just before. How do I know that this story has nothing to do with the sky being blue? Well, I wrote it. That's not what I meant. But secondly, context. Context. What's the context of the story? What's the context of this passage? What happened right before this passage? So we abuse and we use these passages because we just take it out where it wasn't meant to be taken out, out of context, and we just put it and plaster it on our walls or you know, on our cars, wherever, wherever it is, right, on our bodies, and we ask and you shall receive, and you're like, yup. But what's the context of the passage? What happened before? Dogs and pigs. Dogs and pigs, right? Dogs and pigs happened right before. Asking would have been reminiscent. So I didn't answer that. You're like, what? Why does he answer? But asking would have been reminiscent to praying, right? If you're asking, you're praying kind of thing. And Jesus taught his 
disciples how to pray just before. What to ask for even. Ask for your daily bread. Ask for God's will to be done. So asking would have been reminiscent of praying. Seeking would have been reminiscent of just a few verses before. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you, right? So seeking would have been reminiscent of that. Knocking is interesting because, and this is why I'm, it's so exciting just to read the Bible, study with you. Sorry for cutting, um, you know, stopping myself, interrupting myself. But knocking is interesting because it hasn't been used before in Matthew at all. And it will never be used again. This is the only place that you'll see knocking. So if you look up the Greek word for knocking, you won't see it at all. In fact, you won't see it in Mark. You won't see it in John. But you will see it in Luke and Acts. But not Matthew. And even more interesting, when knocking comes up in Luke and Acts, it's about the door not being open. So like you're knocking, you still, and then the parable's like, it's too late. You know, you had your chance. And you're like, what is that about? And so I don't really know if we should go into Luke to find out exactly what Jesus meant by knocking. However, um, people have studied this, asking kind of common sense, praying, right? Yeah, it makes sense. Seeking is very right before Jesus is talking about seeking. What's this knocking about? So this is where theologians come together. Like, what is this about? One of the greatest theologians to have ever lived, his name is Augustine of Hippo. And uh, if you're from New York, you'll call him Augustine. And then everybody will make fun of you. It's like, it's not Augustine, it's Augustine. It's okay, so I changed. It's Augustine. But whether you pronounce it Augustine or Augustine, uh, he is one of the greatest theologians to have ever lived. And I know this because I ask any prominent scholar, who are your top five theologians to have ever lived? Augustine always makes the top five. Sometimes Martin Luther is not on it. Sometimes Calvin isn't on it. But Augustine always seems to make that list. Second, I think Thomas Aquinas was like most frequent when I would ask people, what's your top five theologians? Anyway, Augustine writes about this passage. And he goes, everyone that asks receives, and that those that seek finds, and those that knock shall be open. And he writes, the asking refers to the obtaining by request soundness and strength of mind, so that we may be able to discharge those duties which are commanded. So I'll just distill that. That means that when you ask, it's because you need to do something and you don't have the capability to do it. So that's why you ask, Okay. Uh, the seeking, on the other hand, refers to the finding of the truth. For inasmuch as the blessed life is summed up uh, in action and knowledge, action wishes for itself a supply of strength, contemplation, desiderates that matters should be made clear of these. Therefore, the first is to be asked, the second is to be sought, so that the one may be given and the other found. And so seeking has a lot to do with actually moving then. Right? Asking is, I need this to do it. And seeking is part of doing it. But the knowledge in this life belongs rather to the way than to possession itself. But who has found the true way will arrive at the possession itself, which, however, is open to him that knocks. And you're like, whoa, what? And so he gives this little example. Uh, someone who is not able to walk, whose limbs aren't working, what they'll do is they'll ask. Because... He doesn't have the ability. So he asks that he be healed and strengthened so he could walk. 
That's ask. And then, now that he is able to walk, he needs to do something. He's not just going to be like, boom, my legs are healed. Okay, I'm done. And then go back down. He starts walking. He starts journeying. But he needs to go on the right path, not a devious or a bad path. That is seeking. You need to find the right place to go. If you can finally walk, you have to think, where am I walking to? Right? You're not just going to be like, I could walk. Yay. You know, if I can walk and jump and run, then finally I could be like, wow, my knees are better. I'm playing basketball today and I'm walking to city sports today at three or whatever, uh, whatever your game is. There is a purpose to it, right? And then finally, once I've arrived there, there's no use unless the actual place is open to you. So that's why you have to knock. This may not be 100% clear yet, nor should it be. But that's fine, because we're going to explore it continually, because Jesus continues to go on explaining this. But this is, the, this is from the theologian Eugene Kim. Uh, he says this, asking then, if you really, really study, asking is about humbling yourself. Because asking means I don't have it. You have to admit that I don't have. It means to humble yourself, right? So asking is humbling. And seeking is about searching and the journey. It's about what is the truth, what's right, what's good. And so that's seeking. What's knocking? Knocking is about dogs and pigs. Now this is really getting exciting, right? Yes, uh, but knocking is about dogs and pigs because knocking is about treasure. Knocking is about treasure. The promise is this, that whoever asks, gets. Whoever seeks, finds. And whoever knocks, gets the door open. You might think, wait a minute, I thought you said this wasn't about getting what you wanted. Yes, and I never said that was the promise. The promise is, whoever asks, gets. Whoever seeks, finds. And whoever knocks, gets the door open. Open. And I believe that what we normally have thought, maybe what this passage is about, and what we see here now, is even in a more, it's even a more amazing promise. That if you ask, you get. You seek, you find. And if you knock, the doors open. Why? Because Jesus goes on. He goes, or which one of you, if your son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Just in case you heard the promise and it wasn't that exciting to you as it was meant to be or as Jesus meant for you to take it, when you ask, you get, right? Yes. When you ask, you get. So even an earthly father, when their son asks him for bread, Jesus is saying, who's going to give him a stone? And when their son asks him for fish, Who's going to give him a snake? Remember the testing in the wilderness? Stones actually sometimes look like bread. So that's what the devil was trying to do. He was playing on Jesus's. Maybe he was delirious. Maybe he wasn't clear-minded. Maybe he was weak in spirit. So he's like, look at these stones. Just change it into bread. They look like bread anyway, right? And so sometimes stones look a little bit like bread. But what father? would give their child? What parent would give their child when their child is asking for bread? Here, 
<laughs> take a bite into this. And then when the child takes a bite into it, breaks a tooth, you start laughing maniacally. That's a sick person. But what, Jesus is saying, who would do that? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake. A fish could also mean eel. They're all in the same family in the, he, um, in the Greek and Hebrew. So a snake would almost look similar, I, I suppose. But why would he throw him a snake? That's ridiculous. That's, that's the kind of picture that Jesus is showing. It's ridiculous, right? Maybe if your kid was hungry and wanted bread, some of your fathers might joke and then, you know, pull a prank on your kid. Uh, just know that when you're older, then it's your kid that's going to take care of you. And guess what they'll be feeding you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you thought I was here. But uh, what father would give their kid even a lookalike or a cheap imitation of what the kid was asking for? But beyond that, even something harmful. You know, you would discern, though, that if your child is hungry, you give them the appropriate food. Here's the thing. This is why this is insanely amazing. Your child might ask for bread, but you might not give them bread. Maybe bread isn't right for them right now. But you're not going to give them something worse. You're going to give them a stone just because bread is not right for them? No, you're going to give them something good, something they need, something beneficial, something even better than bread if they shouldn't take bread. When you ask God for something, Jesus is saying, he's not going to give you something bad. And then he goes on. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? There is an insertion of an idea that might seem random here, but it's not. What is it? You are evil. That, that's it. He doesn't go, if you then, and you could be evil. He doesn't say that. If you then who are evil, you are evil. Jesus didn't say if you are evil, but you who are evil. And guess what? The word evil is the exact same word Jesus uses one chapter ago when he taught us the Lord's Prayer. And in it, it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the same word. J.E. Bengal writes this about that. He goes, this is an illustrious testimony to the doctrine of original sin. But to Jesus, this is such a given that he elaborates no further and continues talking. When we don't think we are evil, we fool ourselves and we put wool over our eyes and hide from the truth. Some people refuse to think that they are evil. And when you explore further, it isn't because... It, well, they, sell, they may say or argue, well, it's because you're not as evil as Hitler. Hitler was evil, you might say, but not me. Maybe that's an extreme example. My neighbor is racist, but not me. Look at him, not me. But I want to tell you, it has nothing to do with the other. It has nothing to do with the other. This is how even stores and companies use this kind, I'm going to use the word deception because it, it is it's deceiving, it's tricking, right? Uh, although now we call it a different word to make it sound better. It's called marketing. But this is how stores and companies use this deception to sell products. Of course, they don't call it deception. They will call it smarts, right? 
So if you have a product you need to sell, let's say this is the product, I need to sell this product. This product, it retails for $30, $30. It's a little expensive, but you can afford it, right? Okay. But right next to it, there's a product that does the same thing and it's being sold for $10. Anybody that goes to this aisle will see this $30 product and then the $10 product and look at this $30 product and go, this is not worth $30. It's very unreasonable to pay $30 for this product. So they'll pay the $10 for this very similar. Maybe it's not as good. Maybe it's not, you know, from the island of Fiji. It's from its neighboring islands in Micronesia. I don't know, wherever it is. Uh, but Whatever it is, it's not worth that 200% price jump. People will see your product as an unreasonable purchase. Marketers knew this. So they created something called the decoy price. You don't lower the $30, right? You don't lower it. I'm sorry if this is so basic for all of you finance and business people, but um, I think this is quite fascinating. But you don't lower the price of this $30 product to like 20 or even 15. What you do is instead you put another product next to it and it's only very marginally better, maybe not even better. You just brand it more flashier or something like that and you charge $50. So you have a $50 product, a $30 product, and a $10 product. Now people, when they walk by, they no longer see your product as an unreasonable purchase. They go, that's reasonable. At least I'm not spending $50 for a bottle of water. $30, that makes sense. So it eases the shopper's conscience and allows them to buy your product. But here's the thing. This was never worth $30. It has nothing to do with the decoy prices that I put around it. Just because you think someone else is evil has nothing to do with your evil. And Jesus is pointing it out. If you who are evil... People didn't go, whoa, 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 you think I'm evil? Look at Herod. You know, look at Caesar. Look at what they're doing. He doesn't say that. He goes, yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. You're not as evil as Caesar. You're not as evil as Herod. Um, let me make my, he doesn't. Just knows. If you are evil, but you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father. Even though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts. You know that. Even though wickedness clouds and subjects your ability to even give people you want to love the best, you still buy flowers on Valentine's Day. You know it's a farce. You know that they jack up the prices at every restaurant. They don't even give you these, they give you these set menus that just cleans out their fridge of old food. Am I digressing? I don't think so. So this is wickedness is what I, my point here. Wickedness, Valentine's Day. Wicked, okay. But... Even if you know all of these things, you know how to give good gifts is my point, right? Jesus is saying that. You know how to give good gifts. You don't gripe, except on stage. No, but, <laughs> but the contrast that's being given is being between a wicked and evil person who does these things, and it's still pretty good, still pretty amazing. And God... The most perfect, the most amazing being, perfect in all his ways. What do you think he will give you when you ask him as his child?
would he not give the most amazing gift? You know, the word good things is actually a word in the Greek that is singular, but can be used for one thing or many things, like bread. Bread could be singular, but it could also mean like bread. I have lots of bread, right? Uh, we don't go, we have lots of breads, right? But um, unless different kinds of breads, excuse me. But anyway, uh, we, we say good things because it was meant to be singular, but it's also meant to be many things in the Greek. It's as if God is saying, I will give you this and more if you just ask. The whole thing, the whole like, context that we see this in is, don't be anxious. You're so worried about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what your finances are, you know, what your family relationships are. But don't worry. Your father is going to take good care of you. And don't judge. Don't look at other people and start condemning them because you think it's their fault that you're in this position or they don't deserve what you feel like you deserve. So don't condemn. However, you are to look at your heavenly father. And when you ask him, guess how he's going to respond? He's going to respond as a good father. Not an evil father, but a good father. You know, in Luke he gives, uh, it says this, if you, it's the exact same words except one word is changed. If you then, who are evil, this is in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's going to give you his Holy Spirit and other things. That's insane. This is an amazing promise. Wait, what more can we receive? Some of, some of you are Christian for a long time. What more can we receive than the Holy Spirit? That's not what I meant. What I meant is when I need to eat, I get food, but not just food. Don't you get it? I get a great cook. I get great company that I could eat with. I get great dessert because I know that I need to eat dessert to be satisfied. God doesn't just go, oh, you asked for food? Here's the Holy Spirit. No. He supplies our needs, but so much more than that. That's the promise. He gives us himself, which encompasses all things. And who is God? The good father. Who is God? His son, who shows us God's love. Who is God? He gives us the fellowship of his spirit ever-present, especially in times of trouble. Don't you see? The dogs, the pigs, the knocking, he's the treasure. He's the treasure of immeasurable worth. And all we have to do is ask. That's the same. And this is how God shows us his love. Don't you see? He's the treasure, but he sees us as a treasure. There is a love relationship going on here that just blows the mind. God sees us as a treasure? Yes, he does. In numerous verses in the Bible, he calls his people, just this one example, the apple of his eye. 
Deuteronomy chapter 32, 10, his people are the apple of his eye. Psalm 17, 8, the, his people are the apple of his eye. Lamentations 2, 18, Zechariah 2, 8, all calling his people the apple of his eye. Remember Augustine's illustration of ask, seek, and knocking, right? The lame person, right, needs to walk. Remember that, and I want you to listen to this. There was someone who humbled himself, humbled himself, lowered himself to such a degree that saying that he handicapped himself would be an understatement. Even though he shared in the glory with the Father, he humbled himself and took on form of a man. And then he took on the form of a man. He stood up and he took the road of pain and suffering all the way to the cross so that our sins would no longer keep us from being with the Heavenly Father that loves us so much. Remember I said knocking is not found anywhere except Luke and Acts, but it's found in one other place. It's in Revelations 3.20. And Jesus goes, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to eat him and eat with him and he with me. How do we know that God regards us as treasures? Jesus, you might say, even after hearing all this, you might say, you have nothing worthwhile. I don't have anything worthwhile. Then good. But when you open the door to Jesus, guess who comes in? So yes, there may be times anxiety tries to creep in. Even if I say a word like finances, family, and you are tempted to blame and condemn the world around you, but listen to the words of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Who has now entered your heart? What is your measure like now that you have this in your heart? Paul knew this when he wrote the second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 4, verse 7 to 10. He says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way. Life is tough. Finances can be tough. Family relationships can be tough. Your jobs may be going rough. Your schooling may be hard. You may not know how tomorrow looks like. We are afflicted in every way. Even knowing Jesus Christ, saying that I love Jesus may be a difficult thing for you to do or even illegal for you to do where you work. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. Who is it that has entered your heart? 
What kind of treasure do you possess? This is an amazing promise that I hope that you will remember for the rest of your lives. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. But knock, and the door will be open to you. The true treasure is knocking. And when he enters, how precious are you? Let's pray.